Hello and welcome to our second episode of What We Couldn't Say on Sunday. I'm Ross and I'm here with Pastor Sam and we're here to discuss the sermon on Sunday. Once again, we didn't get any questions about the sermon and so um, we're eagerly waiting questions coming in next week. Zero questions and that is um, too much pressure for me because it's, you guys are telling me that these sermons are absolutely perfect and so everything I said was perfectly communicated and nuanced so that there's nothing left for me to say. And I just can't keep that pressure up, guys. I can't preach perfect <laughs> sermons every week. So please stop doing that to me and drop some questions. But regardless of that, we're, we have some really great content to go into that we wanted to go further on Sunday. That's right. So could you please remind us what was the main point from your sermon? Yeah, so I basically try to sum up Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And the very end of that verse emphasizes the power that we have by the Spirit, in which you're going to be preaching on more our next time we gather at Jubilee, uh, um, Jubilee's church building. but Which is not this Sunday. That's right. As you guys know, we're going to be at the Hassan's home, and so the following Sunday. But this week, what I try to do is show that Paul, he prays for us to have increase in the knowledge of God, and know God more intimately, mm-hmm. and not in a knowing, like, cerebral, like, you just master um, details, like, oh, I know that God is sovereign, and He is loving, but that actually you not only know the characteristics of God, but you know Him intimately as a person. So you don't master material like that. You don't master people. You, you go deeper into knowledge and walking with this person. So Paul wants us to grow in that knowledge. And then two, he wants us to have eyes, our, the eyes of our hearts opened by the Holy Spirit, illuminated, further illuminated, because we've already received that illumination in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and further illuminated so that we may know and see all that God has already given us in Christ. And so that uh, there's three things that we have hope, we have uh, we have inheritance, sorry, hope, inheritance, and power. And um, so I sum that up saying a prayer. And the prayer is, Father, may the Holy Spirit open our eyes so that we may know you as you are and know all that we have in Christ. Hmm. And so it's the prayer that every Christian needs and the prayer that we want to pray for each other. And this last week I've been praying it probably almost every, but every day but maybe one um, just praying for myself, praying for others in our church. And so that was kind of the main point that I try to try to drop. And, and then along with that, I try to unpack why don't we want more of God? Yeah. What keeps us from seeing all these, the riches of the, His glorious inheritance in the saints, the, the hope that we have? Because a lot of these things are common knowledge, the fact that in general, like you ask a lot of Christians, and you, if you loaded the question and say, hey, did you know that you have this, 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 they would say, yeah, I guess I know that. And, oh, yeah, sure, knowing God more is good. So I, I thought it would be more helpful to, to meditate during my sermon prep time of what are all the reasons why we don't love God as we say we want to and know Him, and what are the things that hinder us? Like, so one of the big application points that were was important to me is just thinking, what are the physical things that we're putting, what are the things we're putting in front of our physical eyes that hinder our ability to see with our spiritual eyes? Sure. And so, um, so I went on like a rant on Netflix and so forth, but I, um, yes. yeah, so different things like that, um, I think are just really important for us to navigate rather than everyone walking away thinking, oh yeah, okay, so I get to know God more, but really what holds us back from knowing God more because he's a person. There's more than just, oh, I need more time every day to read more theology books. Like that, that is certainly part of it and it should be, but it's more than that because it, it, 
it's walking with him so it talks about all of your life and how your life is lived right and I think that distinction between the two types of knowledge is very important because if we don't get that right we can just think that just reading a book yeah is right. growing in our relationship with yep. God yep. but we're actually reading the book for a reason is to meet right. a person right and so and on that note that's actually one of the things I want to nail down is the danger of wanting to know more and more theology and reading more books because you can feel like you're accomplishing something and in one way you may be but you also at the simultaneously may be heaping up judgment hmm. because you're learning about all these things that you're actually not living and you don't embody it and it's just kind of like a relationship with someone where they want to spend time with you and you're like yeah but I, and and you you ignore them and but you can tell them all the things that they care about and all the things that they're about Sure. You know, that'd be so weird. Like, yeah. oh, honey, I don't want to spend time with you. But I do know that your favorite food is lasagna. And I do know that you like the show. And I do know that you're like this, 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 this. And you're passionate about this. You hate this. And that mere knowledge of someone is not what God is after. And so especially in our circle, being very heavily emphasizing theology and proper doctrine, which should not be diminished, that doctrine should lead us to worship, lead us to intimacy, and, and not just be something that we just master God. Yes. And so I think a lot of us feel that kind of temptation to feel overwhelmed that like, oh, I haven't read all these books. Like, I need to master God as if once you finish these systematic theology books or these courses or get a a, a degree or something, you will like master God. But it's just all the process of walking with God daily and knowing him and increasingly we'll get to know him forever and eternity. So we're just trying out. So it's not like whatever you know now is like going to that's all you're going to know in heaven. Like we're going to increasingly walk with him then and know him then too yeah because we never want to confuse a means with an end theology is never the end right theology is a means to knowing god and that's, that's exactly right. what we're after that's right that's good that's great so yeah so i just wanted to push into more of what what you wanted to get to in mm-hmm. the sermon and then get to what what else did you want to touch on yeah so i, I made a mention in verse 15 paul prays for them often he's thinking about them always continuing his prayer and i just think about the the guy who's praying verses 16 through 20 is the guy who thinks about them all the time and so I think as we increase in our knowledge of God intimacy of God and surrender to him and knowledge of all that we have the more we're going to have a heart like God which cares about others he's outward focusing right and so Paul he had capacity to love other people and I think myself and others in our community we could just go through such crazy like we have so many things going on and we're so addicted to our smartphones and shows that we just have no capacity to even think about other people. Sure. And I think that's so dangerous because you think about like Paul, he's his passion in life is Christ and his people. So therefore that's all he thinks about and all he prays about. And but for us we've cluttered our hearts and minds with lots of different um, as Paul talks about in Timothy, um, civilian pursuits. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like we're caught up in all these things that are not necessarily evil, and I would say enjoying them are good gifts that we should engage in in its proper place. But I just think about, just like I, what are the hindrances of me loving God more, knowing Him more? What are the hindrances in my life that keep my heart shriveled up and can't think about other people? Yeah. Self, inward, curled in inside. So I just I want to be that kind of person who just my heart is so open. And I think that can only come with going, knowing God more and loving more. Because then I'll become like him because that's how he's like. Exactly. And in these verses, like it says, Paul's always giving thanks, always thinking about his brothers and sisters. 
and that's really foreign I think and really weird for a lot of us yeah um, because we've been trained that church is specifically for Sundays and Wednesdays mm-hmm. and those relationships are carried out on Sundays and Wednesdays so we just tend to think about church people on Sundays and yeah. Wednesdays and what we want here and what Paul is pushing forward is that your whole life is pursuing God and loving your spiritual family mm. and um, and so he's always giving thanks that they're always on his mind um, and yeah so I just want want to be a person I want us to be a people that um, in in quiet moments during the day like what does our mind go towards yeah and, yeah, and can, can we not be people who just think about sports or news sure. or job or problems, but just like, right. just, oh, I just thought about my brother and how great of a guy he is and just want to pray for him this way or my sister and the struggle she's going through and just That's make good. that part of our rhythm throughout our day. That's good. I, I think one of the ways that are necessary for us to grow in that apart from just knowing God more, walking with Him. And, and this is actually a prerequisite to do that, and that's making space. And so if your tendency is when you stand in line to pull out your phone immediately or you're in a meeting, and I, I feel the temptation, like, so you and I, let's have, we have lunch. You go to the restroom, I'm alone. Immediately pull out my phone, check mm-hmm. an email, check a Facebook. So that's that's purposely why, and, and even as I say this, I, I feel nervous about it because I don't want people to feel like this is law because sometimes I change this for seasons, but I, t- I don't have social media on my phone and I don't have email on my phone because I know that I'm so prone to go to those sources and just scroll and scroll and scroll mindlessly. I mean, even, in, say this, it's kind of funny, um, but I, I think the statistics show that I'm not alone, but I just would be on the phone on, my to- on the toilet. <laughs> have you ever done that? It's happened. It's happened. <laughs> so, like, um, yeah. Um, and so I just, when, when there's no dead space, there's no room to think of others. And so we're just constantly filling up with white noise so that we don't have to think. Right. We don't have to know about what's the, the junk in our hearts, and we don't have to think about other people. So, I mean, I think they're just a, discipleship requires all of life, healthiness in all of life, you know, healthy patterns and rhythms and exactly. balance. And so, yeah. That's so good. Yeah, anything else that you were hoping to touch on? Yeah, yeah, a handful of things. I, I mentioned the the message that I should have talked. To, I want to talk about the God of the Lord Je- of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse uh, sixteen, Paul prays uh, and, and mentions the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Father of glory. And you know, when we read through our Bibles quickly, sometimes we can just skim over things. But notice the sound of that: the God of Jesus. God of our Lord Jesus. So we have our Lord, He's Jesus, and the God of the, our Lord is G is God. Yeah. Um, in, and then you think about Jesus' cry on the cross, my God, my God. And many people who have fought against the deity of God have used those verses to push against um, our understanding that Jesus is God. Sure. Who, who would some right. of those people be? Right. So uh, Arian would be the, the most well-known. And Arian um, started, it's called Arianism. Or Arius. Arius. Sorry. Yeah. Arian is the Arian race. <laughs> that, is, that is also bad. The, the Arian kind of ideology, right? Yes. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's Nazi. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so let's not go there. But Arius, so Arius was uh, condemned as a heretic in the 2nd century? Yeah, it was in the 300s. Okay, yeah. So it was, uh, so that would be the 
fourth century. Fourth century. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's yeah. always like one, one more, right? So Arius, you know, had a lot of verses to say like, hey, this is the reason why Jesus would be the first created being, and then all things were created through him. And so they would kind of re- rewrite verses like that. And so like you got modern day Jehovah's Witnesses and um, Mormons, they would they would be proponents of of that theology. That's right. That's right. So, Especially Jehovah's Witness. That's right. That's right. So how do we make sense of a passage that says that God is the God of Jesus. Um, so I think what's important to distinguish is God and who he is in all eternity and God and how he relates within himself in the Trinity and his created, His creation. Right. Right. So God sends, the Father sends the Son to us and Jesus then relates with us and with the Father as a human, as 100% human, 100% God uh, in this really strange hypostatic union, this um, I'm using some funky theology terms, but uh, the theanthropic man and all this language I'm using is just because you know this podcast is made, made for Christians, um, and, and so we're going full nerd mode. And so we're not going to exhaustively go into all these topics. Just a reminder, but we can yeah. suggest resources. But if you come across any of those words, that's what they mean. Yeah, like, don't be scared of them. That's right, that's... right. So we have uh, so God in flesh. The way he relates to the Father is as the Father as God. So the, those statements is not as much of a, it's not a statement of his deity or he's him not being divine. So then creating a, a category where God is divine and Jesus isn't, but that Jesus is relating to him as uh, a father relates to, uh, as God um, being human. Now, um, so, so what, what theologians call this would be the economic trinity. So the way the trinity relates with each other. Um, post creation of man and, and within creation and and then pre-creation of man outside of man and time is is called the uh, ontological trinity or imminent trinity now you don't have to memorize those terms but just know that there's a distinction between how the trinity res- relates with each other outside of creation sure and in creation did you want to add to anything yeah and um, I think just what you had said about Jesus speaking from the perspective of being a person is big. Um, I think so many mysteries in the Bible become clearer because of the incarnation, when we understand the incarnation, that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. And so he can make some statements from the perspective of being divine, Mm -hmm. like there's true life within me and I give life Mm -hmm. to be within you, or statements that he can make from perspective of his humanity right. no one knows the day where I'm coming back not even me well right. I thought you knew everything Jesus right, right. well answer right. I'm speaking from the perspective of my humanity right. that I put on That's right. and so um, I think that, um, that, that we have to have room in our minds for this mystery that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man if we're going to put together difficult statements in the Bible like this That's right. and, and just like maybe just one hypothesis why um why this passage would bring up the humanity of Jesus is because the only reason that you or I or anyone has mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit that lets us see God is because Jesus became a man. Sure. If he didn't do that, there would be no Holy Spirit to see God. So maybe that's in Paul's mind. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, but but I, that's kind of just like one point that I would want to press on is that the, right. the incarnation and how important that is. So good. Yeah. yeah. We can get further into the incarnation another time, but I think just an important thing to do is if you ever get stumped on a passage, remember the Bible helps you interpret the Bible. Right? Mm-hmm. And we're not given Ephesians the, as the only letter to us, but we're given 66 books. 
And so there's certain letters that you're going to see certain aspects of God, and if you take those and isolate them by himself, your, your theology is going to get very wonky. But then you look at other passages that then bring rounding to your theology. And what is really tricky is when we say, and you hear Muslims say this all the time, they're like, how can something be a square and a circle, right? So how can be God be man and God? Um, how can there be three and one, and yet not three and yet one? Right. And what we're, what we're struggling with is the incomprehensibleness of God is a cat- has categories and a category that we as the created order don't have any anything that is is like that we have little glimpses of it three in ones but nothing like that and the moment we try to limit god into our categories into our logic we get in trouble so that's why in scripture we have to constantly see the different um affirmations they make so like does man have free will um or free choices in this god's heart yes right both. It says both, yeah. right? And, and same way, and we have to hold those tensions together. Same right. way with the scripture regarding the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. And what the skeptics are saying is that those are contradictions. Right, right. And they're not actually contradictions. It's just mysterious how they fit together. Right. But your example of a circle and a square that, you know, like a Muslim person might bring up. Mm-hmm. The reason they bring that up because they're saying, oh, you believe in a contradiction that Jesus is both right. God and man. Yeah. No, we're not saying it's a contradiction. We're sure. saying he added humanity to his divinity and he's both. That's right. That they are don't, not contradicting. He's, he's both of them somehow. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, um, you know, the more initially when I first started studying these things, I, I, I was really uncomfortable because it logically didn't fit in my categories. But the more I think about it on a philosophical level, I want a God who doesn't fit in my categories perfectly. That's and the more and more as I study the scriptures, my more and more my mind is renewed into the values of the kingdom and understanding God for how he says he is rather than what culture places upon him, what my idolatrous heart would try to make him into. But yet that's it, actually a freeing thing that he doesn't fit fully in my categories. And some of that is ignorance because I just need to learn more. Yeah. And the other part is just because he's just in another level. Right. Um, because if your mind fully understood him and fully mastered him, he... Right. Wouldn't really be God. Would That's he? right. He'd probably be someone that you're creating. Hence, why after the end of this, all this sovereignty talk in Romans, in Romans chapter eleven, Paul ends saying, "How inscrutable!" What's a great word that no one really uses? Inscrutable and unsearchable are your ways. Yeah. Right. It's, it's because you know that what he just said previously was hard to understand because he's constantly addressing objections and he's ending with that praise and marvel. And the reason why he's saying that is because he knows what he just previously said sounds contradictory, hmm. but it is not. That's right. So that's right. Yeah. He says, "Who who has known the mind of the Lord?" Yeah, that's well, right. Well, Paul had just written for how many chapters? Eleven chapters right. on the mind of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying, "I don't know the mind of the Lord." Yeah. And so, um, yeah, definitely, yeah. we always want to keep pushing on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there anything else that you can say? On yeah. So there's a translation difference. So lately we've been preaching out of the NIV just because we want to be more accessible to those uh, who may be joining us on our Sunday gatherings. That's who right. Just don't have the background and ESV is a higher literacy level. That's and, right. And we're not encouraging people not to grow in their literacy level or their theological acumen, but we are trying to create an easier open door. And hence, hopefully this podcast shows that, you know, we don't want them to people to be ignorant of these things and so yeah. and that's good and we're actually not really even sacrificing that much in yeah. the the faithfulness to the original languages and going to the niv that's right because if you look at it the niv and the esv those are like the two cadillac mm-hmm. translations they're the right. so so it's not like we're taking a step down to be more accessible can you talk a little bit about that like the, the spectrum of different translations yeah so there's a whole a whole spectrum of uh dynamic equivalence to functional equivalence 
And dynamic equivalence is more like idea to idea and functional equivalence is word to word. What do you mean by that? That's just uh, so quick. Yeah. Most people, I think, that went over their head. So um, the difference would be like, so you have a sentence in Greek and one philosophy of translation is, can, can I say this in an English sentence that's faithful to that Greek thought, even if I use different words? So I want to capture this whole thought. Right. I'm translating thought by thought. Sure. Word for word translation is I'm going to translate each word into English from the Greek or the Hebrew, mm-hmm. and so and then those individual words will form the thoughts right. in the right. English translation. And, you, and when you say that, you also mean word order, right? So syntax, syntax is how a sentence is ordered with words. Right. And Greek has very different syntax compared to English. Right. Which is why people will say, okay, that's why we want to make sure we get the thought rather than trying to accurately. So if you read the NASB yeah. or the KJV, they're, they're a lot more formal, right? Right. So like the, the NASB is going to be the most, people use the word wooden translation. It's going to sound the least natural. Yeah. To English. To English yeah. people. And the reason is that it's maintaining the Greek word order. It's maintaining more of a word-for-word translation, right. so it just doesn't have that smoothness that mm-hmm. a translation like right. ESV or the NIV is going to have. Yeah, yeah. And actually, so the NIV goes a little bit more on the thought-for-thought thought right. than the word-for-word word in the ESV, mm-hmm. but it's not much, I promise. Yeah, yeah. It's not much at all. And, um, and so the NIV as a result is just a little smoother than the ESV, right. and so it just makes a little sense, right. more sense, but it actually isn't sacrificing faithfulness right. to um, to the biblical languages. And I mean, guys like D.A. Carson right. are contributing to the NIV, who, and he's one of the preeminent yeah. best evangelical scholars. Yeah. And so he's not working on a translation that's distorting yeah. the meaning of God's word or missing out on it. Right. Which on, is so silly because some people like make fun of the NIV is the nearly inspired version. <laughs> you know? And really, even outside the NIV, the spectrum goes, then after that would be something like the the NLT and actually right. the, the Southern Baptist created something called the CSB formerly known as the HSBC <laughs> a lot of acronyms right? <laughs> Holman's Christian Center Bible HCSB uh, I, I love that one and then now the CSB which is they're, they're marking themselves as like the optimal blend of readability and accuracy yeah. and so I mean the reality is all translations have their most tra- major translations have their place Read them all. And, and, and I, I personally recommend every year read through a different translation, and you're going to see different nuances in text. And if possible, um, read, learn Greek and Hebrew. You know, and, and we wouldn't say every Christian needs to learn Greek and Hebrew by no means. That's but, right. um, I mean, so I, when I do my sermon prep, I'm reading six or seven translations um, for that passage. Obviously, I can't read that the whole Bible every year doing all six or seven translations. But that's just to say, like, you know, one, I've heard one person say the best translation is one you'll read. And so many people struggle reading their Bible. You look at every poll that asks Christians about Bible reading, majority of Christians struggle reading their Bible. And so I want to try to create as much, much of a um, remove the barrier. Because we're already reading a text that is in another context to a different people. And so there's all these layers that we have to work through to understand the original meaning. And so if we're trying to create, or I want to try to remove every unnecessary boundary. There's some boundaries you can't get over. Right. And so, like for instance, in the NIV, in this passage, in verse seventeen, it says that you may, so that you may know him better. So that that he's praying that the Spirit would help us know him better, know God better. While the ESV says that you would grow in the knowledge of him. Right. Now that sounds almost identical, but what's the difference? 
What's the difference? Yeah, it's um. I put you on the spot. You just threw it right back at me. Yeah. Oh, well played. Well played. Okay. So the knowledge. So rather than just saying grow in the knowledge of God, he's saying that you would you already have the knowledge of God, and I want you to know Him better, right? Which is what I what I argued according sure. to the context. I believe these is spoken to Christians. According to verse fifteen, and they already know God. They've already been illuminated. Second Corinthians chapter four. And now Paul is praying that that illumination, the, the, the lights would get brighter. Mm-hmm. They would see him clearer. And so the ESV leaves it more generic because that's what the Greek does in the knowledge of him. And then NIV makes it more explicit, their interpretation, that you already know God as a Christian. And he, they want, he wants, Paul's praying that the Spirit will help you know him better. Sure. Great. And now just um, to touch on something that I thought was interesting. Um, you talked about... Um, Relationships being a zero-sum game. Yep. Could you please refresh us on what you meant by mm-hmm. relationships being a zero-sum game? Yeah, as finite beings, uh, well, let me start with God. We wonder how can God pray? How can God hear all the millions of prayers that are being thrown at Him right now, and yet care about each one? Yeah. Hear each one. Be selective. Be deeply grieved and yet deeply excited over others. Like all at the same time. Right. All at the same time. Right. God is in another. Co- Another category, mm-hmm. right? And yet we are not like that. I can't simultaneously feel sorrow and great joy. I can switch back and forth, and I think that's what Paul is always in a state of being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. But I don't think simultaneously he's like thinking, being happy, and sad. I, I don't think the human ability can transcend into that longer than a few times here and there. You know? Right. Um, I think sometimes we God can, will give us that gift in a moment to be able to feel the multiple things and and give a glimpse of his ability, but I've only experienced that a few times in my life personally. But, you know, so there's a, we're finite, we are limited, and God um, God has made us that way. And so with the zero-sum game when it comes to relationships, if there's only so much time you have in a week, in a day, so much thought, time, um, of attention, affection, so forth, you can only give it to so many people. Right. So you can't say, like, I'm best friends with 50 people because... You know, if everyone's your best friend, no one's your best friend, right? Or in words of Sin, Sin, uh, who's that guy in Incredibles, Syndroid or whatever. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> if everyone's super, then no one's super, or something like that, right? Or everyone's special, no one's special, right? If everything is important, then nothing's important. It's a similar thing. Uh, concept goes, you know, we can't be deeply invested into one person and equally invested into thirty other people, right? Right. So we're, we're finite, yeah. we're limited, we only can do so much at a time. That's right. Yeah, that's we good. can only care so much. Yeah. Yep. That's your point was, is that since this is zero-sum game, we have to choose God to the detriment of other things, in some sense? In some sense, but yet, I don't want to create a false dichotomy that's like, then, then we go monk style and we forsake everybody and we go into the mountains, right? Because the right. scriptures don't commend that long term, right? And seasonally, maybe you can have that, but um, seasons of solitude, but the idea of God transcends all. He becomes the sun in our solar system, and everything revolves around Him. And the more we love God, the more we can love other people. Mm. But I think there's a place where we prioritize other people so that God actually becomes a, you know, background player. Sure. And so He plays. He's in the backdrop rather than the forefront. Yeah. So He's a supporting cast member. You're the star. If you want to use kind of play imagery. And so, therefore, everything, you know, if the sun is removed from the solar system, now switching to solar imagery, everything, just all the planets will collide and it won't be good. Right. So. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. So, I, I, I believe that you can love Joanna better mm-hmm. 
if you love God most mm-hmm. rather than if you tried to love her most and not love God That's most. right. That's right. Can you please explain how that could be true? Yeah. Well, I mean, just when you think about the gospel, the more we believe and trust and go deeper into the gospel realities, the more we are now able to overflow that kind of same gospel love God had for us while we're still sinners and how he still loves us and redeems us to others. And so just yesterday I started moping because, you know, Joanna did something that I didn't like and um, I wanted to self-justify myself and say I deserve to be upset at her and be cold. But... Um, then I try to think about the gospel because I do so much premarital counseling these days. This is something I talk about all the time. I'm like, oh, dang, I'm a hypocrite right now. <laughs> so I'm just thinking through like, oh, man, like, man, God loved me while I was a sinner. So like my, my love started to increase for the Lord. And at the same time, I was like, oh, how can I not love others the way he's loved me? Sure. And so it's, uh, you know, we love because he first loved us. And so we love others as he's loved us. Yeah, right? that's good. And that's only possible if he's at the center. That's right. Um one, one thought that just comes into my mind is C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. Um, and he, in his book, he writes about how unless you have love for God, love for friends, love for spouse, or love for family, mm-hmm. grows out of proportion to where it was meant to be, yeah. and it becomes idolatrous love, That's right. and it actually hurts the people that you love because you're trying to make them be to you what God should be to you. Yeah. And so if you expect Joanna or you expect your friends to meet your needs like God is meant to meet your needs, yeah. if you put them in that place... That's actually going to consume and hurt the people that you love. Um, but mm-hmm. if God's at the center, if God is who you love first and everything else, like you said, Sam, orbits around him, then you're not putting burdens on them they were never meant to bury. And you can That's love right. them as, as you ought to love them. That's good. In um, Keller's book on meaning of marriage, chapter one, he talks about putting the burden on your spouse to be like your savior, your love, your everything. Like, the descriptions that we make and we give regarding God, uh, our spouse often is what we would say for God. Mm-hmm. They were not meant to be God. And when you make the creation, you force the creation to be the creator, you will be let down. You will destroy that person. You'll destroy yourself in the, in the process. And so I think it's just so important that, you know, as we, uh, it, it's not like, here, here's a tricky thing. You don't, even as I say this, I want to further qualify. We have this danger of trying to quantify things. So people say stuff like, God is first, then my family, then work or whatever. You sure. know, you, you've heard those triangle, the pyramids of hierarchy of priorities. Right. And they can be helpful, but what it can sometimes do is it feels weird because it's like, well, I have an hour or like I have 30 minutes with Jesus in the morning. And then, but then you work for eight hours. So it's like, who gets the most time? Well, your work does. So that means you love mammon and m- money. Uh, mammon is a God of money according to um, the New Testament. But, um, but do you love money more than and provisions more than God well not necessarily and so there's a there's a need for us to learn how to love God in all the things that we do oh right? that's good all do all to the glory of God as first Corinthians talks about like what um in, in your playing and your drinking and your working do it all as an act of worship all things unto him and not to man that's right right yeah like the Joe Joe Rigney's book the things of earth really pushes into this topic and yeah. is really helpful in that that's way. right that's right yeah um, and so there's ways scripture speaks of you know, if you put all of the world on one side and, and, and God on the other, God wins, right? Like one thing, you know, uh, what is that passage? Nothing, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Yeah, Psalm 73. Right. But yet we do desire things on the earth and those are good things. Right. Provided they lead, they're, they're like uh, Augustine talks about, they're like rays, right? They point to the sun. We follow the ray to the sun. And right. so th- th- there is one sense where scripture speaks about the t- t- totalitarian t- 
the, uh, what I'm trying to say, totalitarian, <laughs> the supremacy of Christ over all things. Right. And yet at the same time, all things point to him. All things are can be done unto him. All things, obviously, that are lawful. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because like, like God ultimately didn't create the things in the world to compete with him. He that's made right. them to point to him. That's right. And so um, we need to have different categories. Which, which kind of gets back to my Netflix rant. And because I even said at the end, during the sermon as I was talking, I was like, I, I will probably watch Netflix tonight. And indeed, I watched Amazon Prime and watched a show my wife and I enjoy. Sure. The question is, is it helping me? Um, and this is you know one of my favorite passages, Hebrews 12. And it just talks about running, running the race and ultimately knowing Jesus and so the, the, a great question that I've heard said is, does that thing help you run? Mm. It's not about like, can you do that or not? Like, yes, you should, you can do it, right? If it's, if it's not sinful, but is, will that Netflix show ultimately help you run the race, help you love God more? Right. And I think most of us are scared to answer, ask those questions. In, in fact, you can watch a show and love God more through that. Right. Um, but I think a lot of people haven't thought through intentionally how or and are not honest with themselves. I really think that binge watching session of the office or whatever it is really stirred your affection for Christ and helped you love people more. Um, I think that you there's a way to watch the office and worship God, but I think it takes it, it, it takes a lot of work to be able to get to there. Yeah. Um, I think we're in a new era now where we're still trying to understand the ramifications of yeah. of internet shows and mm-hmm. things like that because like when I grew up TV wasn't an isolating thing mm-hmm. like there was a show at a certain time it was on that time sure. every week and it was an event where people would come to watch that show they'd talk during the commercials there might be a snack during the show um, but fundamentally when it was like that it brought people together yeah. now we're in this brave new world where you can click play by yourself and watch 10 11, 12 episodes straight on a TV show mm-hmm. without ever interacting with anyone That's else. Right. That's right. And um, yeah, you could, I guess, technically do that before now, but it's the platform encourages it. Totally. And no, um, yeah, it, I mean, if you're watching, it'll jump to the next one within seconds. Right. You, you have like a small five second window of that to decide, okay, am I going to be responsible and go to sleep? Or am I going to keep watching? <laughs> right. In, in those five seconds, you're like, nah, I can keep watching. Yeah. And, and I lose all this often. Or I'm just not going to stop it and see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Or we're checking our social media because we can't even take a break from that, right? Oh, now we got to check our social media. Oh, oh, another one shows. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> and, and we, you know, my, Joanna and I love the show This Is Us, and we watch that. And the equivalent of it being social is every week as it comes out, you see people post about it on Facebook or Twitter mm-hmm. what they thought about the episode. Right. So even then, we're like separated. So even for a weekly show that you have to wait for, people are then not even spending time together. Most people aren't watching together. but They're just posting about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think the most important thing, at least for me, before address it, because I watch Netflix too, um, is have a plan. Before you start watching, don't go in without a plan. That's right. That, that's the, that's, that's when you get in trouble. Is when you say, "I'm just going to watch uh, Parks and Rec for sure. when as long as I feel like it." Yeah. Okay. Enjoy the whole next season. Mm-hmm. But but you know, say, "Hey, I have 40 minutes that I just need to unwind." Or that's good. me and my spouse are going to watch an episode together. That's right. That, those are two completely different situations. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is using Netflix responsibly, and one of them is using it maybe mm-hmm. irresponsibly. Right. Or as an escape. Something right like that, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's just a generally good. We, we could probably we should stop this this uh, trail, but that's a generally a good character um, kind of tip is going to things knowing your response. You know, it's a knowing the proper. I, I read one book on character when I was really young, and it was really helpful. This one um, idea of 
think ahead in the day about the different things that can happen or are likely to happen and decide how you're going to respond. So if you have a coworker who repeatedly gets on your nerves. And so, so for instance, for me, there's this guy that you and I play basketball with. Yeah, right? I know exactly who you're talking about. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he wants to get in a fistfight with me and even Ross. And Ross is like the nicest guy in the world. And yet he like threatens again. But he fight. never fights with anyone, does he? Yeah. Yeah. And he swears he's peaceful. And, um, and so knowing that he's probably going to be there, I have to decide ahead of time how am I going to respond I'm going to respond and meet him where he's at and you know yell or like argue with him or I'm going to respond in love and, right. um, and so that, that's an example of deciding beforehand don't let your emotions and what you feel like in the moment decide what you're going to do right because we think that's being true to who, are, who we are like this whole cultural mantra of like being true to do, being authentic to yourself yeah. is doing whatever you feel like doing but sometimes what do you feel like doing is stupid mm-hmm. and you look back and said I wish I didn't do what I felt like doing because sometimes what you feel like doing is terrible right and so deciding ahead of time so that's one way so my wife and I we try to on our best weeks uh, have set, set days where we watch shows or movies and then days that we can't and yeah. you know so and I think that's a helpful strategy and so those other days when you have that time spent a full you decide again what you're going to do ahead of time you know so yeah. instead I'm going to read a book or something I want to grow in for my craft or work or something like that or spend time with people, have them over my home. Yeah, and it's super helpful. It makes a huge difference. Um, it's good. Yeah, so great point. Um, is there anything else you want to bring up before we close close the podcast off for the day? You know, I'd love to touch on DNA groups real quick. So okay. we're, gonna, we're launching them this month. And so for our members, DNA groups uh, represent, stand for discover, nurture, and apply. And or act. Act, yes, right, thanks. Yeah, I am a master at this. Um, this discover, nurture, and act. And, and act, it, it kind of overflows with, overflows with apply, but um, we're discovering God together, we're nurturing the truths of God into our lives, and then we're together as a community applying it to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of you guys are trying to decide who's gonna be your DNA group, and we're gonna help you, guide you to do that, and a lot of you are struggling, like, who do who do I pick, how do I know? Yeah. And don't forget to send your email in to us. Yeah, that's right, that's right, we, we need those emails. We have um, one. Or we're gonna just do, uh, you know, we, we, I have a few more, I mean, people have been texting me too. Oh, good, yeah. good. So, good but, um, you know, we, we, here's a couple of things to think through. No matter who's in your group, if they're a believer, you know, and if they're a covenant member, they're a believer, they can give you something. They can offer you something. You may be a believer 10 times longer than they have, but they can offer you something because it does not take a master believer, a really mature believer to be able to say, hey, that you're not believing in that truth that you say you believe in, mm-hmm. right? So you say that Jesus is control over all things or that God, you're going to inherit all things. And yet you're so fixated on getting that nice car. Let's just throwing out an example, right? It, in a, in a, a younger believer can see that and speak truth graciously, but probably not perfectly if they haven't done it before. Yeah. And help you apply it. So how can you fight against the curve for materialism? So as you think about who you're going to be in your group, don't don't think like who's like the person who's going to help me grow the most because that 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 is important. We want people. We want to surround ourselves with like the the classic. You know, you want everyone wants a Paul. Everyone needs a Barnabas, and everyone needs a Timothy. Right? Timothy, yeah. someone you're pouring into. Barnabas, someone who's you know, kind of side by side as a peer. And then Paul is kind of someone who's a mentor or father or mother in the faith. And I think that's true and that's helpful. And so some DNA groups, we want our DNA groups to have that, you know, mixture. But we, we don't want to fall into the idea that, like, you know, I'm I'm so mature. I need other mature people. And if, let's say, you're in a group with people who are younger in the faith than you and you're like, oh, they can't offer me anything. Mm-hmm. And that's just garbage. It is. Yeah. Because, I mean, a newer believer... 
has had to break from the world a lot more recently than their conversion. They're, they're, they, they remember better what mm. it's like to be without Jesus. That's good. Um, oftentimes, I sense that younger believers are just more radical than me yeah. um, just because they, they, just, they, they just remember right. salvation even better than I do. And, mm. and um, sometimes you, you need someone from that perspective to remind you how sweet Jesus is. Yeah. Even if you might know more, might have lived through more with Jesus. Right. Um, sometimes you got to be reminded of what it's like when, when someone just surrenders to him. That's right. And also remember DNA groups are people who, they're going to be your first line of defense. While your missional community will be your second line, the church's whole will be the third line. In other words, we can't be that intimate with our whole church. And you can't really be intimate with everybody in your missional community. So this is the smallest group of people. You know, when you think of Jesus's ministry, he had different relations with three and 12 and 70 and in the crowds. And so we're trying to replicate that at some level because we can't, we know just by nature of observation that you can't go that deep with that many people. Yeah. But you can go with a few. And these are the people who are going to especially make sure you don't fall through the crack. They're going to pray for you. They're going to be there to hold you accountable. They're going to help discover even you and your heart and help nurture truths. Notice the word nurture is not like rebuke. It's, it's a gracious term. It's coming alongside. It takes time. It's relational. It's intentional. And so just keep that in mind as you think about DNA groups. You know, the reality is some people, they're just, you're not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy with my DNA group in the sense that I want to be, I want everyone to be in my DNA group. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be people that you want to be in your yeah. DNA group who aren't in your DNA group. And, and that's the nature of the Christian walk. Like as we grow, like almost all my best friends are not in Twin Cities because the Lord has called them to other things and that's the nature of being on mission with this God who's doing things all across the world so I mean it's just going to be the nature for all of us have to sacrifice that but it's a way that we're structuring our church to make sure that no one gets left behind yeah. and that we can all grow in the way God has, God dreams us to grow yeah you'd like to yeah and these DNA groups are really radical compared to what a lot of other churches do because a lot of other churches the pastor is the shepherd and the people in the pews are the sheep mm. and then that category is maintained mm. we're pushing against that and saying if you have the holy spirit you're a shepherd yeah and we're and we me and sam we're trying to equip everyone to shepherd everybody that's right <laughs> and um so so you are a gospel minister yeah and if you're a gospel minister who are you ministering the gospel to that's right and you need to have specific people and that's what these DNA groups are. They're the first group of people, not the only group of people, yeah. but your first priority of who you're ministering, applying right. the gospel to. That's so and so, um, so too bad you're not a participant, any, just a mere participant anymore, or a mere observer anymore. You're a participant. Yeah, and, that's so um, good. And, and I would even say that for you and I, we're going to be each in a separate DNA group, and there's yeah. going to be people in our group that are going to think, oh, because we're the pastors, they have nothing to offer us. Right. And I say, I abominate that idea. Shepherd that's us. Not, that's shepherd us. Help us be more consistent with the gospel that we preach and we love and we say we love. And sometimes we totally do not act like we love. Yeah. Right. And so anybody can do that. So we want to get that shift. Right? Everybody who's in your DNA group and MC, think, how can I help them love Jesus more? How can I help them? You know, we used to, earlier on, we used to say, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and and be on mission with Jesus. Like three Bs. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's a kind of helpful way to think about it. Like who in your group, uh, no, not who. You can all of them in your group. How can you, not who, but how? How can you help everyone in your DNA group be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and become be on mission with Jesus? Sure. So, um, yeah, so that, that should wrap up our time with DNA groups. And, and finally, if you um, are listening to this and, and, and been interested about pursuing membership or what it looks like to be officially part of the family, and again, if you're a Christian, you are in the family of Christ, but this is a, a, a way we're trying to especially care for each other, so the APC family. 
um, we're, we're going to probably have new members being come. We just had new members come in this last Sunday. Yeah. And hope to add some new ones in the next month. So we're going to be doing um, membership checkups and, and different things. So check out the website on uh, join us and uh, membership pathway and then reach there's out to us. There's a ton on there. Yeah, there's a lot on there. Yeah. Because we want to just make sure we're on the same page and we, we're, we're a good fit for you. You're a good fit for us and we can serve you well and that you'll flourish with, with us as a family and then also on the mission that we've been called to do. Amen. All right. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next time.